honestly, networking with agents and other wholesalers is working out pretty well for me right now. Seller marketing is great, but I'm kind of at a place right now where I have a lot of people in my network, but I can kind of take advantage of that. And so I'm really trying to lean in into partnerships, like partnering with like my previous students on deals, partnering with people, like letting them know, Hey, we're good buyers. You can rely on us. I think that right now, like when people are struggling to pay their bills or they want to sell a house fast, the first person they think to go to is the agent. So in times like this, I think the agents control a lot of our inventory. So I'm trying to focus a lot of our efforts now on more like networking with agents and other wholesalers. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Welcome back to Ice Cream with Investors. I'm your host, Matt Four, and today's episode, we sat down with Lauren Hardy. Lauren is a real estate investor with a people's first approach to business. She's invested hundreds of properties all over the country throughout her career and has the unique reputation of being a virtual investor because she doesn't invest in the areas where she lives. Lauren is being able to preserve in many different markets by constantly following market changes, being flexible, and even willing to move markets when necessary. Lauren, welcome to the show. All right, Lauren, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We like to start with a difficult question here. What's your favorite ice cream? Ooh, this is a tough one. I'd say mint chip. Okay, okay. Why mint chocolate chip? I don't know, because it's delicious. Why not? (laughs) Okay. We'll take it. We'll take it. You're out in California where I'm assuming they have a plethora of options of ice cream shops. If we're in Huntington Beach, where can we find the best ice cream shop? Ooh, gosh. I don't know. I'm not like the biggest ice cream person. And there's so many ice cream shops. I live like in Huntington, like by Main Street. So it's like the downtown total touristy area. So there's a ton of ice cream shops everywhere, but I will say my favorite thing to do of like, just like top five favorite things is to ride my bike with an ice cream cone in my hand. (laughs) Like living out your best kid life. That is just like my, if you've never done that, like you probably last did that when you were like 11 years old. Like I highly recommend trying it out. It's great. We typically ask if you're a bowl or a cone person, but there's only one way to do that. And that would be with a cone. Yes. Cone all the way. (laughs) All right. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? So I'm a real estate investor and I feel like that title is, it evolves every year, right? It's, it means something different every single year. And funny enough, I feel like I'm in a moment right now where we're going to have another evolution. There's going to be like another version of Lauren reinventing herself yet again with this current market that we're in. The market's changing and now I'm looking at the opportunities around me and I'm going, ooh, like, what are we going to focus on in 2023? Because gosh, 2022 is almost over. But I am primarily virtual. So I live in Orange County, California. It's a very, very expensive area to live. So it's difficult to flip here. It's more challenging to find deals So I, maybe six, seven years ago, decided to try flipping deals out of state, flipping houses, wholesaling houses out of state. My first venture in that was Nashville, Tennessee, which I heard you live there. Lucky. I wish I lived there. I love Nashville. 
but I started flipping out of state because it was so hard to find deals in California. I was just really struggling. I was struggling to find deals. I was spending a lot of money on seller marketing and it just like wasn't working. And But then I went to like a different state where prices weren't as high and I was able to find more motivated sellers. So I just went where the deals were. Now, fast forward, I've flipped, I've wholesaled hundreds of houses at this point, right? And now the market is shifting and sellers are starting to say yes. And I'm thinking of coming back to California. So interesting. Yeah. So I think I'm going to be flipping in my backyard shortly. I'm literally like putting a campaign together, figuring out like, okay, what am I going to do to target deals right now? I'm interested to hear about the shift that you're seeing and also where you see the market going. But before we get there, can you tell our listeners, where did your real estate journey begin? It began when I was about 25 years old. I was working full-time. I was working in corporate real estate. It was more in the commercial real estate side of things. I had an eight to five job and I just wanted to be home with my kids. I wanted to find a way where I could have some flexibility, career flexibility. So I discovered house flipping and I started flipping houses in my local market. I started with just doing maybe two houses a year. Then the next year, it was like three houses a year. And then the next year, it was like three, then 10, then just kind of kept building. And that's where the journey really started. It was like 10 years ago. And it was just to find a way to have more time freedom. I've always wanted to ask somebody that's been in corporate real estate, do you think that helped accelerate your investing journey or understanding real estate a little bit better? Or is it like most of us, it's just another job. It's kind of what you just do. Not at all. Like not even a little bit. (laughs) No. What were you doing in corporate real estate? Well, the last job I had was working for the Irvine company and it was in their construction management department for their office properties. So I was like working for an owner, like Irvine company owns the city of Irvine. They're like the world's like biggest landlord. They have so much property. Their like owner, I think is like one of the richest people in the United States. So I worked for that company. It was not a very fulfilling job. It was a very just kind of easy job. I didn't think I was going to be there forever. I knew I wanted to do something different. Before then, I worked in franchise sales for Subway restaurants. So that was finding locations for Subways, like the $5 foot long. (laughs) So yeah. What kind of data do they have? Because there's a Subway everywhere. It's the number one. I think Subway is the number one fast food location-wise in the world. So where does their data come from to find good locations? We would drive around. Really? Old school. That was my job. Yeah, I would drive around. I would drive around at least one day a week and I would just scout out like empty spaces in retail centers. Interesting. Interesting. And then you you start like networking with brokers and stuff. So like when they are, there's something available, they let you know. So gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So you've done the corporate real estate thing and then you decided to get into flipping and wholesaling. Why flipping and wholesaling? Why go residential? Why not continue the journey into commercial? It was just what fell on my lap. It was literally sitting at a barbecue going, I really hate my full-time job. How do I get out of my full-time job? And someone just goes, you should flip houses. (laughs) And I'm like, what's that about? It was my brother. And my brother started flipping houses a couple of years before me. So he's like, you should just try like flipping houses. You only have to do a few a year and you'll be able to be home with your kids. So you should try that out. And yeah, I was like, okay, show me how to do that. And that's what I did. Yeah. Was he already flipping homes in, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Maybe flipped two or three before me. So yeah. Got it. Got it. Fell into it. 
And I understand your first market that you really focused on was Nashville. And now you live in California. Why did you decide to go virtual? Talk us through that. So I was in California probably for like four years, just only doing California. And I was acquiring deals through seller marketing and uh, direct to seller marketing. So like direct mail, texting, stuff like that. At that time, it was actually just direct mail. And I noticed that it was starting to get really difficult to find a deal. Like for what I used to be able to spend in marketing, I would get a deal. Now it's looking like I'm spending twice as much to get that deal. When I'm starting to get nervous and I'm noticing that the market's really shifting, that sellers are like, they want way more you know, than I feel comfortable offering for their home. It got to where our profit margins like to stay competitive with like the competition in my area were starting to get really, really slim. And I was starting to get really, really nervous. So it was just for me, it felt like the right thing to do was to go to a different market where I wasn't having to deal with such like a cutthroat kind of market yeah. environment. Mm-hmm. Little did you know, you landed in one of the hottest real estate markets in the 2010s decade. That I know. And that goes because I would say I blame lack of experience and picking a market. At the time when I went virtual, like I didn't know how to pick a market. I just thought Nashville sounded like a cool place to visit. And little did I know, I literally went from one California to another. Like it was like a little bit easier, but like not that much. And it got even more competitive, like as I was in it. So yeah, there was that. So what I ended up doing inevitably is just like finding a market that is like just more stable, that wasn't like going through any kind of like crazy growth period or anything. So I ended up in Oklahoma City. So you didn't have really any kind of reason why you picked Nashville other than it just seemed like a good city. You knew things were going on in the city and you decided to land there. Yeah, that was it. Literally like this sounds like a cool place to visit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you remember what year that was? 2015, I think is when I like bought the first home. And then I think they sold in 2016. I built some homes. I did what everybody was doing. You buy a house, knock it down, build two in its place. So I did that. I did three ground up construction projects in Nashville. And I flipped some homes there. And then I wholesaled a bunch of houses there. So let's talk about that then. If you had been to Nashville, but didn't pick it for any real strategic reason, how were you able to kind of build a team, find leads, know if a good area was a good area, bad area? Talk us through like how you kind of work through that process. You got to make a lot of friends. So I just made a lot of friends. I made realtor friends. I made contractor friends. I made, I mean, anybody that'd be my friend, I was like, networking, networking, networking. And that's what ended up being my team. I got really lucky finding that contractor. The first builder is really who set me up the most. Like he pointed me to a lender. He pointed me to an architect. Then the architect points you to another person. Like it just builds on when you meet people, it just builds, right? Like everyone, there's like that five degrees of separation, right? Everybody kind of starts introducing you to someone else. And before you know it, you've got a person you can call for every one of your needs. Yeah, 2015 was about the time when Nashville was starting to explode. I mean, I moved to Nashville in 2009, I think it was. And at that time, it was, where did you go to high school? Who do you know? And if you weren't from Nashville, you were kind of banished off to the sidelines. And 2015 Mm -hmm. was about the time where we started seeing an influx of people. And so to your point around like the five degrees of separation, it was a really small town at that time where everybody kind of knew each other. Yeah, yes. 
But nonetheless, glad I got to do it. It was a really fun experience, but Nashville was starting to get too saturated. So I left. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know anybody that runs a scalable wholesaling business right now in Nashville successfully. Everybody, I think, is competing towards basically whatever the MLS is offering just because it's such a hot market right now. I'm glad you said that because I've always had this little question of like, should I have stayed in Nashville? But I was like, no, I really can't make money here anymore. Like it wasn't for me anymore. Like even the development projects, it was like the developers, like I wasn't local. So like, it was really hard to get the deals. Yeah. And we're now to the point where we've got our first billion dollar investment development going on under in downtown. And so it's one of those things, if you're a local contractor, or if you're any kind of developer, why would you go work for, let me throw up one single house or two single houses when I could go work for these larger scale projects? I guess the story I tell people that aren't from here too is, I was in an Uber around 2015 or 16. It was when I first got exposed to real estate as an investment vehicle. And driver said, yeah, I just took around some Middle Eastern prince who basically gave me 15 grand for 48 hours. And he said, show me all the best parts of Nashville because I'm only going to be here for 48 hours. And I'm going to try to invest as much money as I can. And like when you're competing with that kind of money, it's really hard to be successful. That's crazy. What a crazy story. But no, I was feeling that. I was like, there are people from Europe, like China, like there's just, I mean, you're competing with so much. There's just no point. Like I might as well then just do this in my backyard because at least in my backyard, I can be a little bit more competitive or why don't you just find another market altogether? And I don't know, we all just take different roads and I chose to keep virtual like as part of my thing. And maybe there was something in that knowing that maybe that's what made me different. Then in the end, it turned into like a coaching program and got into that side of like real estate education, which is a whole different business. And I've learned so much on that side too. So it's like my journey, it was like everything kind of led me to where I am today and I don't have any regrets. And where you are today is where you're supposed to be. Right. Yeah. So now that you're wholesaling and doing virtual in OKC and a couple other markets, who is on your team? So do you have like business development people? Do you have marketing people? Who's on your team today? Yeah. So my team today is pretty lean. I think in the market that we're going in, like I want to be lean and mean. And I kind of want to focus more on just buying like for myself and buying and buying flips because it's kind of interesting how there's a lot of people pulling out like the bad flippers are now being exposed right and they're getting out they're like never mind flipping houses is not my thing (laughs) sucks you lose money so now like it's back to like the fundamentals now i can actually buy off the fundamentals buying property undervalued making sure there's enough room where we're safe and sellers are starting to be realistic in that and less greedy So it really is a small team. I've got a couple virtual assistants. One just helps me with my coaching program and my social media stuff. I've got another virtual assistant that helps in our disposition work. We get a property to wholesale. She's helping with like the back end, like marketing of that property. And then I've got an employee that's been with me for like ever. I think he's like a six year with me. And he really helps run a lot of my business. So I can kind of be a little bit spread around. So small team. But I'm happy with that. And I think with where we are in the market, I think this is a good time to be leaner as a business owner. 100%. I was having this conversation earlier about like fixed costs versus variable costs. And one of the things I was talking about was the idea that variable cost gives you the ability to be flexible in lean times. 
And to your yeah. point, I think we are going through lean time. So if you can make your costs more variable, and to your point about flipping, like when the cost of capital goes from zero to four and a half percent overnight, on top of what you're already paying, you start to see where bad behaviors are getting caught speeding. Yeah. Yes. And I love that you said like fixed costs versus variable. So I did have a bigger team before and I did that exact in 2022. I started seeing a trend when I'm going, this isn't looking good. I got to start tightening the belt. And so I let go the fixed costs and I found ways to have a team but not be on the hook for a salary. And some of that is like working with realtors and saying, hey, if this sells, I'll give you a commission. But just being more creative. Like I had a full-time project manager and he was managing some flips that were out of state and I needed some project management, but there was kind of like, I just couldn't think creatively enough at the time. And I hired, when money's good, you're not that creative yeah. to save money. And so I'm like, oh, I'll just hire a project manager, whatever. Then I started getting real sick of writing his hourly pay and you know what I'm going, what is he really doing? So I found a realtor that was willing to project manage as long as they got the commission and they know I buy at least one a month, like they're stoked. So I started becoming more creative. When you're making money, like you're not creative about saving it. Now this is such a good time to like kind of have that reminder. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the theme on a lot of business and corporate podcasts that I listen to these days is there's a lot of zombie companies out there that survive only to pay for the debt, essentially. They're not adding any productivity. They're not adding any real value to the marketplace. Their valuations continue to go up because their revenue goes up. But if you strip away and add a little bit of cost of capital, all of a sudden, they're no longer existence. So to yeah. your project manager's point, like, what is this person really doing? I'm not having to be creative because money is flowing so freely right yeah, now. Yeah, right. Right. And when it's not, which in 2022, I was seeing we had a lot of wholesale deals that like fell out. There was a lot of like, was just kind of out of our control. And I was like, something's going on in the market. Like this isn't, this isn't going yeah. well by that time to start slimming down. So to that point, what's working in your business right now? How are you finding leads? How are you finding properties to buy and things like that? Honestly, networking with agents and other wholesalers is working out pretty well for me right now. Seller marketing is great, but I'm kind of at a place right now where I have a lot of people in my network, but I can kind of take advantage of that. And so I'm really trying to lean in into partnerships, like partnering with like my previous students on deals, partnering with people, like letting them know, hey, we're good buyers. You can rely on us. I think that right now, like when people are struggling to pay their bills or they want to sell a house fast, the first person they think to go to is the agent. So in times like this, I think the agents control a lot of our inventory. So I'm trying to focus a lot of our efforts now on more like networking with agents and other wholesalers. Yeah, I've kind of seen the wholesaling community evolve over the past 10 years, I would say, to helping each other dispo deals. And what I specifically mean by that is there's a contact that I have down in Chattanooga. And what he does is basically help other people dispo deals across the country. Like he's not even right. wholesaling in his whole market. You find a deal, you send it to him, he dispos it for you and you guys kind of split the profit. Is that what you mean by like working with inside of your network? So I don't do the nationwide thing because that then requires you have to have a team to work dispo and that's fixed cost. Yeah. I'm like, I would rather use the same buyers list that I have because I already am in this area and it's free and just dispo just territory specific. So I do a lot of territory specific dispo. I do. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So that, and then also just being the buyer, like I buy houses too and I flip houses too. So 
making sure I like treat the wholesalers, even if like there's a deal that I maybe like regret, like I'm not going to back out because I know that like they'll keep bringing me deals. You don't want to let someone down on one and put them in that situation. So yeah. That's it. So one of the things we've been talking about through this is kind of how times are changing in 2022 going into 2023. Where do you see the market going in 2023? If you had a crystal ball, what are you doing to adjust beyond continuing to flip deals? Are you buying deals now and holding them, burying them? Are you doing bigger commercial properties? I guess so a two-parted question. Where do you see us going in 2023? And then what are you doing to adjust? Yeah. I think the market's going to soften. I do. I'm on that camp. I think it's going to be more drastic in other areas. I think the areas that were already just extremely overinflated and property values are going to get crushed, like Southern California. I think there's some markets that had like exponential growth kind of out of nowhere and it almost didn't make any sense. And they're not even that great, cool places to live. In the COVID times, there's markets like Phoenix, Boise, I think those markets are going to get spanked and they already are. I mean, if you go like we dispo deals in Boise, we've got a partner and we work their dispo. Boise, there's so many price cuts. Like it looks like your screen is bleeding. So I think certain markets are already getting crushed. I think it's going to soften. And I plan on taking advantage of that. Like I plan on being a buyer and I've got some good construction resources. My boyfriend is a general contractor. I have my own in-house construction where I flip virtually. We've set that up for ourselves so we can be really competitive with construction and get these jobs done fast. That's another thing that we could talk about is just construction right now. It's really difficult to find a good contractor. All the good ones are taken and you end up finding these guys that are not good and they're taking advantage of people. There's a lot of rehabbers right now that are like crying, like my contractor won't finish my job. What am I doing? Why did I do this? Pretty interesting time. So yeah, I mean, I'm interested in being a buyer because I have access to capital. I've got access to good construction resources and I think there's going to be deals. So yeah, I want to say two things on that one. I tend to Boise hate too much. And it's not that I hate people from Boise or anything like that. I just When I look at markets, the first thing I look at is, is there organic growth or is it inorganic? And what I mean by organic is like Nashville, you see companies moving here, you see headquarters moving here, Amazon's hiring 25,000 people. They're going to get some of the New York, since they decided not to go to New York, some of those jobs as well could scale up to 50,000. And when you see that kind of employment coming to an area, there's sub-employment that happens because of that. There's finance, there's restaurants, there's et cetera. Boise, I tend to pick on Boise because it feels like to me, a lot of people from California, Washington, and Oregon, high-tax states moved to Boise during the pandemic and said, this is great. I've got some land. I've got some breathing room, et cetera. And now they're being called back into the office. Well, (laughs) that wasn't natural organic growth. There was no job that came with that person. So all those restaurant jobs that look like they were being created and service industry jobs that look like were being created are now being cut. So I smiled a little bit when you said Boise, because I don't mean to Boise hate. It's just an example of inorganic. Yeah, where it's like, why did people move to Boise? Like, why Phoenix? And you're seeing it. I mean, they are getting crushed. Like those markets are getting crushed. So yeah, I'm very optimistic. It's been a recent thing for us to really hone in on construction. And we're really looking at like, how can we use the fact that we've got my boyfriend's construction expertise and resources. How could we use that to our benefit right now? And the most really is just keeping construction in-house and controlling that. And the best way is kind of coming back to where I live. So that's why I've been like, all right, I think 2023, we're going to be flipping houses in California again. 
Yeah. So, so a question about kind of general contracting specifically, is he or you starting to see more workers coming back into the labor force since bit of payments are being cut off and we're seeing inflationary pressures and things like that? Or is it still really hard to find good work? And I guess if it is, then why? It's still hard to find good work. And I don't really know why. I don't follow the construction industry that close. But I do not know why. I don't know if it's just like, there's just not enough construction workers and too many projects right now. Like there was a bunch of projects that kind of got postponed maybe because of COVID. And now they're like starting back up. What I've heard, I talked to another guy, I was on the Investor Carrot show and they were saying, complaining that they were having issues with their contractors. And apparently this is like an industry-wide problem that's going to be for a very long time. Like there's just not enough people in the business, in that industry. Yeah. So I also think it's a little bit of supply and demand. Again, going back to if cost of capital is zero and you could borrow a million dollars at 0.05%, then you're probably right. going to build that building and then go look for workers. Whereas when a cost of capital is 5%, all of a sudden now that million dollar project doesn't look as good. So those workers are now available for other projects. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out for the next two years. I know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Interesting times. Lauren, I don't want to breeze over the fact that you built all of this while being a single mother. And that is a truly accomplishment in itself. I've said to anybody that I can that I think being a single mother is the hardest job in the world. How were you able to do that? I don't know any other question to ask other than how are you able to do that? Oh, you don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you that's know, the reason why you do it. This back against the wall. I mean, when life doesn't go the way you'd planned, which it often doesn't, you've got two choices, right? You're give up or just keep going. And I just keep going. But if you're looking for kind of like practical tips, time management is very important. I'm always kind of looking at like how to be more efficient in my day and how to be more effective. Like I'm kind of obsessed with like, how can I be more effective in my day? So one thing I like love that I started doing about two years ago, I wake up earlier now. I wake up at 5.30 a.m. I never thought I could be that person. I just really struggle to wake up at five in the morning. But like now I like, I wake up at five in the morning and I get work done before they wake up. And like, just that golden hour that I like that it's quiet and nobody's bothering me is like an amazing time to be able to get that to get work done. So it's you've got to be super, super effective with your time. I don't know. I feel like that's all you can do. Let me ask this then, because I know every mom has the mom checklist going on in their mind at all time. Do I have snacks? Do I have clothes? What are they wearing tomorrow? We have Jersey Day. We have picture day, all this sorts of stuff. Do you do any kind of list sorting for business and for personal? Like, Talk us through how you're able to juggle that in your mind, I guess. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My calendar, everybody says when they say my calendar, it like gives them anxiety. I just put everything. I put a lot of things in my calendar. I color code. So I see like the kids stuff, like kids have their yellow. So like I'm reminded like, oh, wait, got something for my kids. This is so old school. (laughs) Have you heard of the Franklin Covey planner? No is old school. Okay. I, my mom used to use these. Okay. And like, I used it in college. This is like before everybody did stuff on their phones, but I used to just like up to three months ago, I would just bullet journal. I had a little journal and I would write like just my lists every day. And I keep that journal everywhere I go. And then that with my calendar at the same time, but I remembered about the Franklin Covey planner. They're still in business. 
and I bought one and I'm so excited. I love it. It breaks down like every day. You just have like a whole day and it's like, it breaks down your day and you put, you write your little to-do list in it. And now I write everything in there. I write, and it has enough space where you can write notes like for the day and stuff. So I do that. So it's a lot of writing things down, a lot of lists. Yep. But another really great tool is monday.com. Yeah. So I use Monday for like my higher level project management. Like, you know how like you're always juggling things, right? Like, I don't know. Give me an idea like of what you're juggling right now. Like these, just these little projects. I I mean, flipping a home. (laughs) I don't want to say project management for flipping a house per se, but you could definitely use it. Planning a vacation. Starting a campaign back in Southern California to flip houses right? Like I got to think of how I'm going to do that. And like, what's the first thing I'm going to do? And the second thing and the third thing. So I use monday.com for like the higher level company projects. And that is really helpful. I love Monday for that. So just a lot of tools and keeping yourself organized. A good project management tool will go a long way. I'll give a shameless plug. Just go search building a second brain on YouTube. And like that, we'll talk a lot about how do you get thoughts out of your head and into a yeah. systemized format. I'm going to write that down. Building a second brain. Yeah. I use Notion for mine because it's also a note-taking app too. And I can search it, reference it, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not very proficient at it. I'm learning, but it's fantastic once you get it. And some of these people out there have it masterfully done. So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Well, I know you have some things coming up. So I want to be cognizant of your time. I'll switch us now to our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book? Or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Oh, my goodness. Right now I'm reading it's on audible. I'm audibling. The obstacle is the way by Ryan, Ryan Holiday. Holiday. Yeah. Yep. I'm loving that right now. I had heard that stoicism is like a really good kind of philosophy when you're an entrepreneur. It really helps kind of like managing your emotions and stuff. So I'm trying to learn more about stoicism right now. Yeah, I think I read that book three times in 2020. These are really good, good kind of breaking that down. Yeah. Our second one is I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the habits that you have? I wake up early. So getting up early, I try to go to the gym at least four days out of the week. And then the fifth day is like more of like run on the beach or something like hike or something more leisurely. So I think taking really good care of my body is important to me because with your body, like it affects your mind. If you're not healthy, like you're, I see that in my, like in my mind and my ability to focus and not get brain fog and Um, So I'm really like careful about just like taking care of my body. I've got a thyroid disease. So I did see like when my body was not doing well, like how I was having a very, very difficult time making decisions and staying focused throughout my day and being like effective. Like my brain would just be like not working. And it was because of my health. It had nothing to do with like me wanting something or I didn't have agency in it. It was just like my health wasn't well. So I try to really take care of like myself. Yeah, 100% agree. As a long distance runner, I'm surprised that you say running on the beach is leisurely. I think there's nothing harder than running in sand. I don't run probably as long as you not on the beach. I have a strand. We have a boardwalk, but I probably don't run as long as you and not as fast. (laughs) Beautiful out there. I'm sure it's pretty though. Yeah. Yeah. Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Ooh, oh my goodness. I kind of think the advice of just don't quit. Someone told me the story about Winston Churchill and that he went 
I don't know if you ever heard that story that he talked at a college and all he said was don't quit and left. (laughs) And so like something about that speech, like just don't quit no matter what, like you're going to have bad days. Like I don't have it all together. I think it's like so funny in these podcasts. Like we always get interviewed as if everything is like great. And it's like, no, like we don't have it all together. I have bad days. I had a bad day yesterday. I've had a bad day last week. Like we have challenging times. We go through challenging times in our businesses. We don't always have it all figured out. But I think as long as you don't quit, like you'll make out of it. You will. You only lose when you quit. Like then you really had lost. Right. But like, if you say lost a lot of money on a deal, well, if like you keep buying deals, you keep going and you learn from your mistakes, like you're going to make it back. So don't quit. I love it. I had a friend one time who was chief of staff for a billionaire. And I said, what was that like? And she goes, it's basically like your life where you don't think you have it together and you're just kind of working it day by day. They're doing the exact same thing. They're just doing it at a higher level and they're a little bit better at it than you are. That's so interesting. That's crazy. My dog, by the way, just chewed my shoe. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Need a new shoe. And I need a new shoe. See, I don't have it together, guys. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Our fourth one is, what's the thing you're most proud of in your life? My girls, my daughters, they turned out so good. They're nine and 11. And I don't know, I had them really young. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just tried really hard. I read parenting books and I wanted them to grow up differently than I did. And I'm just amazed now that they're kind of out of that crazy young stage that they're like so responsible and they're so kind. They're so kind, like they're good, nice kids. So I'm very, very proud of them. Talk about how nobody knows what they're doing. No parent knows what they're doing. They're just trying to do their best at the moment in a given time. Our last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? My gosh, I feel like I'm a big Darren Hardy fan. Who's that? I, Darren Hardy is no relation to me. He's an <laughs> author and he was like the owner of Success Magazine. And he does this really cool daily email. It's like you get this email video to you and it's like Darren Daily. And it's like, it's just this pump you up video. Like he gives such good advice. Every Darren Daily is like, you listen to it and you're like, Uh, I'm going to kick today's, you know what? Very successful guy. He actually got his start in real estate and he is really motivational. So I would love to, yeah, sit with Darren Hardy, I think. Yeah. Kudos. First time I've ever heard that on the show. Mm -hmm. Well, Lauren, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to learn more about you or connect with you, where's the best place we could point them? Well, you can always follow me on Instagram. I definitely post a lot there. My handle is this mom flips. If you are interested in coaching, I have a free wholesaling course. If you go to free course on wholesaling.com, that one will give you a little intro to the coaching program that I've got that teaches you how I invest virtually. So you can start there. Awesome. We will link those in the show notes. And then Lauren, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.